0: Good morning, church. Uh, morning. My name's Alex Dugan. I help out on the worship team sometimes. I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning. We're going to be going through Luke, 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 sixteen, one through seventeen. I'll give you a couple moments to either find it in your Bible or on your phone. I got to be honest. When I started, when I read through this the first time, I was like. Oh, I feel really bad for the person preaching on this this morning. I'm so confused. Um, So (laughs) you did great, Chris. It'll be great. All right. The parable of the dishonest manager. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master has taken the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from my management position, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commanded the dishonest manager, no, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faith. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little, is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. got this. Thanks. <laughs> word of the Lord. It's on the first uh, service. Alex Redden. Uh, Scripture, and she just instinctively turns around. She's like, "Yeah, good luck." And that was the um, the phrase that came out as it came out. And so, uh, that was kind of her with a solid encouragement. But um, and then reminded me that uh, I shared like so, which is not even what I'm supposed to share this morning. But uh, used to have the opportunity in my life, I got to, I was on Young Life staff and with Young Life. I used to get to go to summer camps over the summer and I got to spend a month talking to high school and middle school kids about Jesus. And so I got to talk to them in week-long walks. And so the first time I got to do that, I went to uh, San Diego. There was a camp that Young Life had and there was all middle schoolers. And so any given time, there's like 300, you know, so maybe a little more up to 400 middle schoolers any given camp, which some of you are starting to like scratch your skin right now. I know that's a lot. Uh, and so the first night I was back there and I was, Praying and you know the music's going and I and I was kind of kind of come out for the first time and and speak and my wife um, who's not here this morning but she was here first service uh, came back and she's like wow there's a lot of middle schoolers out there and I'm like I know she's like yeah don't suck and I was like <laughs> thanks I was kind of hoping for a prayer for her that reminded me of Alex in the first <laughs> service she's like yeah good luck um, so that's it so that's the word of the word. good morning uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday uh, glad you're here a couple weeks ago when Pastor Brandon was like hey we're gonna be out of town do you mind covering uh, the 12th? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Let me look up my schedule. And I was like, oh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Great. Like, nobody will be there. And then you all showed up. So that was, <laughs> I was hoping to not have this many people here. But uh, you know, for those who are here, thank you. Glad you're here. And the rest who are all at home making guacamole and smoking meats uh, for this afternoon, you know, they're doing what they're doing. But I'm glad you're here. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Life Community Church. And my family has called this church home for a bit. Like I said, my wife and my son were here this morning. My daughter, Addie, is over here, right here, uh, hanging out, who's trying not to move and be noticed, Uh, but she is here, and uh, yeah, this has been our church home for a while, and so it's always a great opportunity, like uh, Pastor Brandon mentioned, they're out of town this weekend, uh, but it's always a gift to be able to come and open up God's Word with you in the morning and see what He might have for us, and so... I don't know if it's your first week here or you've been here with us, but I did do some remembering. And we have been going through the book of Luke, Luke as a church over the past little bit. And I was like, past little bit? How long is that past little bit? And I looked, I was like, oh, it's actually February of 2022 when we started. So we're a year in. This is great. And if we keep it up, we'll be done by 2027. So we're just going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Luke. And we took a little break last summer, to our credit, and we took a little break over the holidays to go and take a look at some other things as a church. But we've been going through Luke uh, you know, for quite a bit, and we're kind of in this middle section of the book right now where it's just been a lot of teaching from Jesus, and, and I don't mean that like in a, in a negative way, but it's not like there, uh, Jesus hasn't been moving around a lot. It's not talking about him traveling it's not talking about any miracles right now that he's been doing. It's just been kind of teaching parable, situational teaching kind of week after week for a little bit. And we're on Luke 16 here this morning, obviously, as we know. So I really used my intellect and I thought, well, yeah, well, last week was Luke 15. And if you miss that, um, I would encourage you to go and listen and uh, run back because it was the uh, Pastor on the prodigal son, and you know, arguably the most well-known parable that Jesus ever teaches. And I would argue that there are, it's few places in scriptures that there is a more beautiful and a more compelling and a more just over the top kind of word picture of God's love and his pursuit uh, of us in our lives. So if you missed that, I'd go back and encourage you uh, to get a listen. And I love it all the way through the gospels. And I don't know how much time you spend in the Gospels. I'm sure way more than me, but I love the gospels for... Um, the, the teachings of Jesus, and also the, the actions and the behaviors of Jesus, because they're always different than, than I think we'd, you know, suspect. I was thinking earlier, like, I think if we were to write the life of Jesus, you know, we we're trying to write the teachings of the Savior, we would write them so consistently and methodically, and we'd write them very different than they actually got recorded, because Jesus often kind of took a direction that nobody expected. And I love the unexpectedness of Jesus. I love when they think he's going to go one way into a town, he goes the other. I love when they think he's going to kind of teach one way, he teaches another. And the kingdom of God is always presented in an unusual way. And, and I think this, this morning, Luke 16, is 100%. It's probably one of the most emblematic uh, parables that Jesus teaches on, you know, kind of an unsuspected uh, kind of outcome in this parable. So... We're going to jump into that, Uh, but before we do, I know you just went through the scripture, so keep your Bible close. We're going to jump into there, but before we do, would you uh, open in a word of prayer with me this morning as we go into God's word? God, we're grateful for the chance to be together as your people this morning. There's something that happens when we get together as the church, when we sing, when we open up your word that you speak to us, and you speak to us in different ways with each part uh, of when we gather. God, if you just come from um, different weeks this week, some of us come from uh, great weeks, some of us come from hard weeks, some of us arrive differently from this morning, from great mornings, from hard mornings, and we know that you promise that every time we open up your word, it speaks to us, that it speaks to our heart. And so we just ask collectively as a church this morning that as we open your word, that it would it would speak to our hearts, that we would uh, be clear about your love for us, be clear about how we're supposed to take that love and share it with the world around us. And that would leave more encouraged than when we walked in this morning. So we're grateful for the chance to look at your word. Speak to us now as we go through it together. Amen. Well, I gotta say, um, on the... Uh, the topic of good luck. Yeah, it was, it was. this was a tough passage to get to get ready for it and, and teach over the last, you know, kind of prepare and think about over the last little bit. Um, you know, like I said, when Pastor Brandon came and talked to me and was like, hey, you know, would, would you cover the, the, the 12th, and so I was like, yeah, that's fine, and so we sat there, and because we're both absolutely brilliant, not really, but we just mapped, like, okay, well, then what scripture is that going to be when the time comes, and I was like, oh, Luke 16, great, I was like, oh, the dishonest manager, like, that one's confusing, and I don't even know what Jesus means on half that stuff, so now I'm gonna have to really prepare, um, you know, couldn't it just been, like, a cool healing miracle, like, nice and easy, everybody leaves warm and fuzzy, like, hey, Jesus heals, great, okay, um, you know, but it was like, no, this is the dishonest manager, and I was like, oh, Awesome. This is going to be fantastic. The bad guy seems to get praised at one point. Um, so I started to read it, started to just kind of let it ruminate, if you will, if that's a real word. And uh, just kind of let it chew in the back of my head over the last little bit as we are kind of doing daily life in the Blake family. And just kind of seeing what God might kind of speak uh, to me as we are going through it. Um, because that's kind of just what I was kind of thinking. Okay, so this, this kind of tricky parable... Uh, What is that God's really, you know, Jesus in this moment is maybe really trying to convey to us when he's teaching uh, through this parable. And I couldn't help but kind of rewind a little bit and go back to Luke 15, where Jesus starts teaching and he opens with uh, lost coin and lost sheep. He kind of opens with kind of two possessions, kind of an essence. And then he goes into the prodigal son and the prodigal son is, it has some very tight weaving in of you know this inheritance given to the younger son. So there's kind of some wealth and possessions built in there. And then the older son who stays with him uh, and stays at home and kind of has access to the father's kind of possessions. So Jesus is kind of using like items and possessions and things. And this kind of continues into Luke 16 when he, when he teaches into this parable of this, this account management and, and the things and possessions and money and, and debt. And often, you know, if you spend a lot of time in the gospels, Jesus uses uh, wealth and possessions uh, as a teaching point. And I think it's because A, he's God incarnate. And so he's pretty careful with his words. So I think we should probably pay attention with themes that we find in his teaching as he goes through. But it said, you know, Jesus often uses our Wealth and Possessions because he's clear on where our heart struggles, right? We, we, we struggle there. And Wealth and Possessions is often used for us as followers of him as like a window to our heart. And he often presents like the mirror in front of us to kind of say, hey, I'm going to talk about this. It might be a little challenging. I'm going to put this mirror in front of you. And then we're going to kind of examine where your heart and maybe some of your affinity and some of your value and some of your security lies And so Jesus kind of continues to use this vision of wealth and possessions uh, here in Luke 16. And so, and it's really just a mirror for us to spend some time in this morning. Uh, Okay, so the things that are given to us in this life, how are we using those for the kingdom of God? That's going to kind of be the long and short of uh, what we're going to talk about. So grab your Luke 16, get it close. Um, And so it opens like so many of the teachings of Jesus, right? So much of the account and the gospels of the life of Jesus. And it just says, he's talking to his disciples. Now, if we read on in in Luke 16, as we go through, you find out that there were some Pharisees there and the Pharisees, they weren't uh, big fans of what Jesus was talking about. Um, And it says that, you know, they were Pharisees who were lovers of money. Now, I don't think that's a fair stereotype to put on all Pharisees, but these Pharisees this day who were there listening to Jesus were lovers of money. And so it says, uh, in a couple of different translations, I was looking through, it says that they started, to, they started sneering at Jesus. I don't even know what sneering is. I don't know if any of you sneered lately, um, but if you could explain it to me after, that would be fantastic. Uh, and so they started sneering at Jesus. And then in the ESV, the translation we read, it said they started ridiculing Jesus. And I love that. You know, it's like, hey, you know, it's like you can almost visualize them like talking to each other like, you know, we're hearing things about this guy and he keeps healing people. Like, that's kind of cool. Every time he teaches, we have no idea what he's talking about because it's kind of next level, like stuff he's talking about. Yeah, let's ridicule that guy. Like, that's a great idea. That's a terrible idea. And so I don't know why they thought that was a great idea um, to sneer and ridicule Jesus after he's teaching, but that's what they do. And I don't really know how that went for them, but I would love to um, find out how they did that. So that's what's happening. But we rewind back to the top. And so there's probably the disciples and it's fairly a loose term at this point. So I'm not sure if it's just the 12, or if there's additional people there. Obviously there's some other ears in the room with the Pharisees, um, but I always like to kind of, anytime I kind of enter into a day in the life of Jesus, uh, maybe it's because I'm not that smart, so I need to really have it be a very vivid, visual thing. I like to bring it to life in my head the very best I can. And so I don't know what you see in this moment when you picture, you know, Jesus teaching right now. It's not real clear. We don't have a lot of context um, just from so much teaching before in 15 and coming in 16 of where Jesus is. Um, is it is it morning? Is it evening? Um, is he indoors? Is he outdoors? Uh, large group, small group, we don't know. But I do always like to picture, um, you know, Jesus is teaching. And I don't know if he got done with the prodigal son and there was like a five-minute break. They were like, whew, that was a lot, like five minutes. Or maybe there, it's a different time and they're teaching. But, or there was a question that prompts this response from Jesus, but he opens with, you know, there is a rich man. And if I'm the disciples and I constantly spend my day listening to Jesus teach, who often teaches in parable, It's like, oh, here we go again. Like, okay, like, all right, there's a rich man. It's like, we live in a constant state of jeopardy. Like, you know, it's like he gives us the answer, but then we have to figure out the question. Like, we don't understand. There's like Dakota rings involved. Like, who's who in the story? Like, it had to have been kind of exhausting after a while. Like, every time Jesus is like, oh, let me tell you a story. It's like, (laughs) awesome. Um, You know, there's a rich man. And so this is how it starts. And they go into this. And uh, so bring it to life. Pause. Picture it. You know, what do you see? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What do you see as you picture this encounter that these people have with Jesus this day? And it just starts in. He says, Yeah, there's a rich man, and and he, uh, you know, is kind of the master um, of this. And he has a guy that works for him, and basically finds out that the guy who works for him isn't doing a good job at his job. He's credited his job. He's an account manager, and apparently, whatever that job title was back then, he was not a managing accounts and he was doing a pretty bad job of it. So it says the master calls him in and says, Hey, basically I kind of picture it in our terms, like pack up your office, you know, put, put your stuff in your box, you know, and then, uh, you know, you're not going to be an account manager anymore. You're fired. And this guy's like, Oh, dang it. Like, Oh, oh, uh, okay. Um, shoot. So I, you know, I, kind of get this picture of him, like kind of wandering back to his office in the office building. Um, even though they didn't have an office building, but going back and on the way going, you know, and you know, he says like, I don't, I don't dig like, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I don't dig. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm kind of too proud to to beg or to go ask for money. Um, Gosh! And so he goes back to his desk, and he's sitting there. And then this: if you uh, lead an organization, or if you're in HR, you should have shut off the email account sooner, and you should have taken away the company phone. Because he comes up with an idea, and he's like, "Wait a second! I got an idea. A whole bunch of people owe my, ma- or you know, are in debt to my master. If I become the guy who dishes out a bunch of grace." Like I'm the man, like they're going to all welcome me back and I'm going to have a lot of like favors that I'm going to earn. So when I lose my job, maybe that'll pay off for me later. Maybe they'll have an opportunity to know somebody or whatever. So it says, he starts going through the account list again, shut down the account. Okay. That's just a nickel's worth of advice. Um, so he starts going through and he starts sending emails and saying, Hey, you know, how much do you owe my master? And he's like, Oh, we, we owe a hundred, you know, uh, when we have a hundred, uh, measures of oil. And he's like, great, it's 50% off day, take that down to, to half, take that down you know, to 50. And so uh, back then, um, the idea of like principle and interest wasn't really a thing yet, but they definitely understood like, you borrowed from me, so you owe me. So a lot of times it was just basically said like, you know, it was the same idea just phrased differently, which was like, hey, I loaned you 50 measures of oil, you owe me 100. And a lot of times the, the payback at that time was double. And so it was a pretty hefty thing to have to go borrow. So when he's dishing out this type of, you know, 50% off, like that's huge, right? This is getting them way caught up. So then he, you know, goes out for the next person, like, how much do you owe? And he's like, 100 measures of wheat. Apparently they only lent in a, measures of 100. So, um, so they do that. He says, well, take your bill. It's 20% off day. You know, why don't you uh, go to 80, right? And so this is going on. And it says he just lines, lines them up one by one and goes through and offers uh, these discounts. And so, if you're the disciples, right, and you're listening to this at this moment in a very structured society like it was back then, um, and you're listening to this parable, you're like, oh, this is great. Like, this guy's already fired. Like, and now he's actually writing off debt that's not his to write off. He's giving away more of the master's money. Like, so he's like extra fired. Like, I can't wait until the master finds out because it is going to be bad. Like, I, like Jesus has told these parables before. Somebody gets thrown in the pit of fire. Like there's gnashing of teeth. Like, you know where this is going, right? You can see it set up in the parable. So the disciples are like waiting. You know, Jesus is telling us and he's like, you know, yeah. And then, um, you know, he writes it off. You know, now he's down, you know, right out. You're at 80. And it's like, here it comes. And then you get to verse eight. And then it's like, hey, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. What? Like, where's the gnashing of teeth? What do you mean the master, like, commends for his shrewdness? Like, that was terrible. Like, he's getting worse. Like, you know, why would you do that? And then Jesus says a sentence, you know, that nobody knows what it means. And he says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Awesome, thanks, Jesus. And then I tell you, you know, uh, you know, make friends, uh, for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, Um, you know, is like the ending there. And then, you know, he keeps going from there. So this is why I love the life and teachings of Jesus. Again, completely and totally unexpected, like bends our brain on where he was going with that parable. And he all of a sudden takes it a whole new direction. You're like, okay, I know where this is going. Like, and he's like, nope, now the bad guy gets commended. And you and I are supposed to make friends using unrighteous wealth. Like, welcome to church. Like, I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. Uh, But that's what we're going to spend some time looking at this morning. And I just love, again, Jesus takes simple word pictures to really present these big kingdom truths. And this particular parable is tricky. Like, it's always hard. Like, you go into um, a passage of scripture, right? Like, we just read that parable this morning. And each of us heard that in a different way something stood out to you that was probably different than when I read through it and it stood out to me, right? God kind of speaks to us all differently when we work through scripture. So it's always kind of hard when you're coming up to share because you're like, well, I don't know, like I'm just going to share about what spoke to me and maybe it didn't speak to anybody else in the room. So it's going to be, you know, completely void. Uh, But there's a couple of different ways this parable could absolutely be approached. Um, It's definitely one of the more challenging parables because it is kind of confusing Um, it's tough to understand. And actually in kind of the church, it's been one of some of the more divisive ones is how it's been presented from the pulpit. And we don't have time to go uh, into that, but it's been probably one of the more divisive uh, parables that has been taught. And so um, I'm definitely leaning on lots of people who are a lot smarter than me and those who have walked before us in the church uh, to put together some thoughts this morning. They're not uh, all uh, a la Chris, but I just kind of try to let, this parable and Jesus' teaching and this passage of scripture just kind of wash over me for the preparation time. And just, again, I'm not that bright, so just not overcomplicating it, keeping it simple. And kind of two things kind of kept occurring as I was working through the scripture, which is I kind of saw it in two parts. I kind of saw verses one through seven, which were kind of the setup. You know, it's the guy gets fired, then he calls in all the debtors. Like that was kind of one section for me. And the word that kind of kept popping up for me there is God. And we're going to, we'll talk about that. And then there is a second section, which is kind of verses 8 and 9. And then it kind of continues, but we're going to kind of camp on 8 and 9 because those are kind of a little bit of the tricky part of this passage. And the word that kind of kept coming up there for me was generosity. And that kind of struck me. I didn't really understand why generosity was the word that was kind of coming along for me and that set of uh, scripture. But that was kind of the two words and the two sections Uh, That we're going to look at together here this morning. Um, I know you're thinking, like, wow, Chris, you opened the Bible, you read it, and you came up with the word God. That's awesome. Way to go. You know, it's like, this is it? This is the only guy we had to come to the pulpit? I know. I know. Uh, It's low bar around here. So that's what I'm doing. But yes, that is the best I had for that section. And I'll tell you why. Um, And I hope it uh, uh, speaks a little bigger than just that. But uh, I think it's because there's, you know, there's lots of parts to this parable, but kind of the, the overarching kind of theme seems to be, it's just, a, it's just a really simple truth that Jesus invites us into, which is what we have is not ours. We are managers of them for the true owner, which is God, right? That's the, the long and short of it. So that was the word that I kind of kept coming. is God's, it's God's, it's God's. And, I, and you know I know we know this, Right, as, as if, if you've followed Jesus for a little while, if you're new to it, you know, what we have is not ours. It's God's. We just manage it for our time here. Super easy sentence to say from a microphone in front of a church. Really hard to live out in everyday life, right? Let's be honest. Okay, I can sit up here and say, yeah. And you're like, yeah, that's right. It's all God's. Eh. Sure. Until we uh, really, really have to go after it, and you know, if we really spend some time thinking, um, you know, it, it, it can be very, very challenging, and that's a whole other message uh, for another day. But you know, we're really just like this manager this year; we're just temporarily overseeing, we're just managing, and I and I even put down on my notes like, you know, our resources, like very heavy on the air quotes. Uh, They're not our resources. They're resources that we are temporarily in charge of uh, in this life and for the real owner on behalf of the real owner who is God. You know, there's some things I was thinking about, like, okay, so what are these things that we are temporarily, you know, in charge of? And obviously the biggest one, you know, just get out the money, right? So the biggest thing that we are in charge of while we're here, we have have this money uh, coming in and there is... Uh, lots of different ways to manage that, and we're going to talk about that in a second. There's our like our possessions, um, you know, different things that we have: our clothes, our this, our that. So the things that we can kind of say that we own, kind of in daily life, um, there's some of those things that um, that we are managing. Uh, we have bigger assets like cars or places where we live: our house, our apartment, our condo, wherever we call home. You know, we have those things that we are managed, that we are in care of uh, in this life. We have our paycheck. Uh, that comes in, uh, whatever increment it comes in. And then the list can keep going, right? We can keep going away from like those type of assets to our body, right? To our time. It just kind of can keep going and going and going. But we're in charge of all these different things in our life and our time here on earth. And all these things that we are in charge of, they're all God's. They're all his. Every one of those things that we just went through are all his. Um, And the thing that kind of kept, poking out to me or kind of just jumping out to me was this phrase. Um, and I'll read it so I don't um, screw it up. And it just says that every single thing that we have in this life is on loan. And there's one really clear condition of the loan, that everything we have should be used to build the kingdom of God. Right? Everything we have in this life is on loan. And there's one giant red stamp at the top of the loan papers. And says so if I'm loaning it to you, and the reason I'm loaning to is that those items could be used to build my kingdom. Our money should be used, going through those same things, to bless others. Um, our family, like I said, it started out and uh, I was on the Young Life staff for a long time. And I don't know if you know a lot about youth ministry, but it is a great way to get rich. Um, it is not, it is not, but it's a great way to be broke. And so we got started in our family and, uh, we, we were, we lived in this little tiny place in slow. and we were doing work with middle school and high school kids, happiest clams by the way, and, uh, totally broke, right? We were just painfully broke. Like the car run out of gas. I was like, well, we're just going to park it and skateboard because we have no more money. Like that's, that's where we were at. But, uh, you know, we were the, the great recipients of an envelope that got taped to our front door once a month. And we knew who it was, but they like to pretend that we didn't know who it was. And so we played along, um, you know. But every month, there was $300 in cash taped to our front door. Do you know what a gift that was to us? Like, we were broke. $300, like, we just won the lottery. It was like, can't go out to eat, but still, like, we could buy gas. Like, this is going to be awesome. And, so, and then, fast forward in life, you know, we have continued to be, like, our family has been so blessed by so many people's generosity. And and maybe you can say the same. And then we've also been, be able to be the givers of generosity. And that's been a gift, right? To use our money to bless the people that God has put around us. And we've been blessed and been able to bless. You know, Um, our clothes, right? Jesus goes out, our possessions, our things that, you know, somebody need to borrow somebody. We got some great people in our life. I've borrowed all types of things. Uh, I don't know that I've borrowed any clothes. So maybe that wasn't the best picture. But if you want my shoes, you can have them. Um, I don't know that you want them, but if you did, I'll give them to you right now. Uh, But, uh, you know, that's the thing. The things we have, how do we use those to uh, glorify God? How do we use our possessions? Um, Our bigger assets, you know, we have cars things Like that, you know, I did uh, a long time of youth ministry. You know, how many cars I borrowed in my life to run kids to camp? Tons. You know, how many cars I flipped and wrecked? Three, right? So, um, this we won't talk about that today, but uh, one of which uh, totally flipped a car on the way to Sierra Summit with kids on a winter ski trip, and by the grace of God, everybody was safe. My wife was in the car, I watched it flip in front of us when it hit ice, and then. And luckily, sitting next to me was the weightlifting uh, record holder at Salem Smithsville High School who went in and drug out middle school kids on his back. Um, and, but, yeah, there's lots of things that can happen to our large possessions. And, and the car that we actually flipped didn't even belong to somebody who was a believer. And he was like, that's right. I'm just glad it was used for something good. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We just wrecked your car. <laughs> like, you know, I'd be Not happy. So, uh, but we have these bigger possessions and oftentimes we get posed for our own hearts. Well, what if, what if, what if? Yeah, what if? What are we supposed to do with the bigger things that we've been given? The places we live, you know, do we have to have people over? Uh, Do we want to do this? Um, You know, we always use the phrase, we're not good at it in our house, by the way, but we love the phrase, you know, be the threshold of our front door be dark brown with the feet of people in our home. Right? Like we just want it to be a place where people can come and be, and we're not always perfect at it, right? We need to invite more um, all the time in our world, but we want our house to be used uh, for the kingdom. Our paychecks, how do we allocate them in the best way that we can to love God and to love the people that he's put around us? Really easy to say, really hard to wrestle with in daily life in order to make sure that we're really clear on that these things are God's and not ours. And but this kind of deeper truth, this thing that we have to wrestle with, really sets the foundation for this this whole parable. And like going forward in the parable, and we're going to kind of talk through, you know, we're just managers because how we view, I think, or how we engage resources or money or whatever you want to kind of call that, I think dictates our hearts in a lot of different situations on where is our trust? Is it in the things? Is it in the people? Or is it in God himself? And that kind of sets up the second part of this, uh, where generosity is a word that keeps coming up for me. Um, so I was kind of preparing, and this will make no sense to you, but so far I'm, I'm very linear in my message in my own head. Uh, you might not be feeling it, but I'm, I'm there. I'm really on point. And then, uh, but then you get to, to and I want to talk about God, you know, that it's all his, and then Jezorossi. So if it's all God's, how to be wildly generous with what he's given us. And we're going to, we're going to go there. But in the meantime, I got verses eight, and nine in the middle. And I'm like, you can't go through this parable and not deal with 8-9 because they're, they're the confusing part of this whole, whole enchilada, right? And so we're going to kind of sidestep here. We're going to tackle 8-9 and, and then we're going to get back on my perfectly linear message in my own head. It's going to be awesome. So uh, we go back to 8-9, right? So uh, the, the manager, you know, the, the master finds out, right? That ob- he's gotten a tip that obviously this guy has been writing off debt on, on his behalf, and so I picture the conversation going like this, like, hey, we need to, you know, the master calls him back into his office and was like, hey, by the way, you're still fired. And actually you're extra fired now because now you've just been giving away all my money. Like, But I gotta say, from one guy to another, like, well done. Like, that was sharp. Like you figured out in a very small window how to manage this situation, very savvy of you to figure out how to set yourself up to exit this place. And now I have shut off your email account and give me your company phone and please leave, right? So it it still got fired, but in there, the master recognizes the shrewdness of this guy and the savviness of his quick decision-making. And then, so the next sentence goes on and, you know, And it says, you know, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And when Pastor Brandon teaches a lot, he talks about spark notes um, that are like the condensed version of the longer version of whatever book you're reading. So this is kind of spark notes, the best I understand it, is uh, Jesus is saying, be savvy like this guy. Use our street smarts as believers, because often people of the world use their savviness and use their street smarts more than people in the kingdom do. But don't do it like the manager. Don't do it for things that are, that are untrustworthy. Do it for things that are holy. Do it for things that build the kingdom. You know, use what you have, use what you have into to be smart and to do that. And not to go, and, I, and it's, it's wild to see sometimes, when we, you know, when we get the chance to do that, what God can bring from us using our savviness. And then it goes on and he says, and I tell you to, you know, to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That sounds horrible. I don't even know what that means, but I'm pretty sure that sounds like going to Vegas. And I'm like, that's not okay. Like, I don't know what unrighteous wealth is, but that's what it sounds like. But I did read through it and I and I found a really simple trick to bring some clarity is insert worldly where it says unrighteous. So I'm to read through it. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, let me receive you into the internal dwelling. So the long and the short of it, use our worldly wealth to build eternal relationships right? I can understand that. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here is use the things that we've been given to build friendships here that have eternal reward and, you know, lastingness in those relationships. It's all God's anyway, right? So we're going to take those and we're going to take the things that we have and we're going to pour those into the people around us. So we're building friendships. We're building relationships with this worldly money that's going to expire anyway. We're all going home at some point. So use what we have now to pour into the people around us that we can build these eternal relationships uh, here on earth. So that was my sidebar, right? So now we're coming back into my my perfectly linear message, back to generosity, which lands right in verses eight and nine Um, anyway. And so trying to distill this down even more and and go through it even more, uh, you know, so that's like the spark notes of that section is, you know, take what we have, Use our worldly items to build eternal relationships. And if I was to take that even a a layer even further, um, love big, right? Take what we have in this life and love really, really big with it. And I don't mean to beat the dead horse uh, because that's not good, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Uh, But it's really hard for us as people, and I'm speaking to myself, to love big when we're not clear on our relationship to our stuff or we're not clear on whose it really is, right? Until we get really clear that everything we have, every relationship we have, every person in our world, every item that's ours is God's, it's really hard to love in a really big and wildly generous way. I spent some time um, in my life prior to my current job uh, up until five years ago, I spent most of my career raising money. And most people are like, wow, it's a terrible job. I loved it, it was great. Uh, so, I worked with Young Life for a while. So, I worked with high school and middle school kids here in San Luis Obispo County from Arroyo Grande up to Paso Robles. And uh, you got involved uh, at the base level working with kids. And then the more you're involved with any organization and you kind of basically just raise the money then so everybody else can do the work with the kids. So, that's what I got to do. And uh, but got to raise some money with Young Life. And then when I moved on from there, I spent a lot of years here locally doing the financial operations and direct fundraising for uh, Mission College Prep down in Salem Bispo at the high school there. And so I got a lot of time to think about money. And luckily when I got started with Young Life, they did a really great job and some really great mentors and people that helped said, hey, if you're gonna sit across from somebody and ask him for money, you gotta be really clear on where your heart lies in relationship to God's provision and his trust on those resources, right? Because if I'm gonna sit here and, Sorry, Jared, but you're right in front of me. Sit here and come to Jared and ask Jared for money and say, Jared, you know, we got this really great thing going on and I want you to be a part of it and I want you to give some money. Jared's gonna sniff out real quick if I'm really comfortable in that or for some reason it's an unhealthy ask and, and I'm not sure where my trust lies and maybe God's not gonna meet it, so I'm sweating a lot. Um, but I, you had to be really clear about your relationship to money and you had to be really clear about your relationship to resources. And one of the best questions that, got asked of me in that coaching time from one of those folks that would help and lead me, they said, the best way to kind of define for yourself how you relate to your resources is how do you feel when somebody asks you for money? I was like, oh, that's a good question. You know, so if I was to, Jared was to flip the table and he was coming to me and he was like, hey, Chris, you know, gosh, I heard you worked with high school and middle school kids for a long time. We're raising some money to go to Hume feel like with your history and obviously care for high school and middle school kids? Gosh, you know, would you consider chipping in to help us go to Hume, you know, and bring these kids there? And if I all of a sudden kind of tense up a little bit, I'm like, Jared's a jerk. You know, why would he come and ask me, uh, you know, about giving money? Like, doesn't he know we don't talk about money in this culture and society? Like, why would he do that? And if I, if I have this reaction, um, you know, later on in this parable, Jesus speaks of two masters, right? There's, there's God and there's money. And if we have this reaction, this tensing effect, uh, we might need to do some work to, in our heart to figure out where our trust still lies. Is it lying with money um, or is it lying with God? But then the flip side, Jared comes to me and he's like, hey, Chris, you know, we're doing this thing, we're going to Hume. You know, would you be a part of it financially? Would you give some money to it? And if my reaction is, oh man, hey, Jared, thank you. you know, I gotta go home and talk to my wife see if we can do something about it. But you're right, we do love high school, middle school kids. And I'm not sure if we can do it right now, but if we can, man, what a gift for us. Because we know that when those kids are up there at Hume this summer, that we got to be a part of that. Like we got to help send them there and that they're gonna hear from God when they're there. Like, is that my reaction? Well, then then maybe I have made my peace with the fact that what I have is God's. And uh, that I'm not serving the other master, right? That, That I can give that to God. And there's times we can give, And there's times we can't, and those are fair, but it's all about what our heart reacts to, right? And what our heart says. It's not about actually if if we give, it's just what's our disposition when asked or invited into something. And I think that's the call for us, um, you know, as the church. I think that's the call for us as followers of Jesus, That we would be known by our love, right? We say that all the time here at Life Community Church. So we want to be a church known by our love, but that that love would be full of wild, radical, unexplainable generosity that builds eternal relationships here on earth. That being known by our love would be filled with wild, radical, unexplainable generosity that builds eternal relationships here on earth. In my years of fundraising, I sat across the table or next to or on a park bench or on a bar stool or wherever it was that that conversation was going to take place. I got the chance to sit with a lot of people and make an invitation to them. And I always really felt like it was just a, it was a pretty easy invitation to make. It was, hey, I'm here today because you have particular resources that I think would really fuel something God's doing over here. And all I'm going to do is introduce you guys. And if it's a great introduction, awesome. Because I think it would put fuel on the fire and, and things would continue to happen for God. But if not, it's OK. And that's your yes or no to make. But I'm, j- I'm just here to make the, the introduction. And so I got to do that with a lot of different folks. And I'll tell you what, like a lot of people right now, you're like, oh, I'm sweating. Like, that would be terrible. Um, it was, and it took some work. But it was really cool because I just got to talk to a lot of people about what was really important to them. And then I got to introduce them to particular things that was a gift to them because they got to use what they had to to grow the kingdom of God. And that was really all that fundraising was. So basically got to, in summary, kind of invite them into the same thing we've been talking about in the parable this morning, to take our worldly items, to take our worldly wealth, and to use it to build eternal relationships. And I got to ask a lot of people. It was really beautiful. And when you asked and somebody smiled you got this really, and it's going to sound a little dramatic, but stick with me. You got this really beautiful picture into their heart, right? They, they kind of came alive. Their eyes lit up, and they got to be a part of something that, that God was doing. And when they got to do the very thing we're talking about, they got to use what they have to be a part of what God was doing. It brought life to them. And I was thinking about some of the people that I watched this life come to, and it was Rudy... And it was Kathy, and it was Nick, and it was John, it was Greg, and it was Laura, and it was Alan, and it was Brendan, and it was Tony. And the list goes on and on and on of these people that participated in whatever form or at the time that the invitation was made. And then in this part of the, the parable, right, like that we, you know, we talked about was that Jesus asked, like, said, hey, make friends, and using that. And I'll tell you what, all that list of men and women that I read, like they made a friend in me by that gift. Not because it went to me, like none of that went to like my family, but the friend they made is when you see somebody think bigger than themselves. When you see somebody that's like, I have this and I can make the world more full and more beautiful and I'm gonna give it. Like that for me was the privilege to be in the front row seat to watch that. And they made a friend in me. I have so much respect and love for watching them do that, that if there's not much I can do for that list of names in this world. There's just not. But if they did need something and they called, I'd be there. Because I watched them do exactly what we talked about here this morning. So then, spin that lens to us. How about us? How can we take what we have, what God has entrusted us, and that's different for each of us, right, sitting in this room? How do we take what God has entrusted us to build beautiful, generous, and eternal relationships uh, in our world? And the short question, again, trying to always boil it down for me just so I understand things when I walk away, Um, who is it and how is it? Who is it in your world and how is it? And we're going to start with the who is it. Right now, who is it in your world that you need to build a friend, that you need to build a relationship with that isn't there? Is, Is there somebody in your family? As, you know, families for us are often some of the harder things. And right now I just said that and you're like, oh, family. Did you really? Yeah, families can be tricky because they're the nearest people to us. And sometimes they're the hardest to love. So is there somebody right now in our families that we need to build a bridge to, that we need to be mindful of, that we need to pray for? Um, who is that? Is there somebody in our uh, social group right now that we want to know Jesus or things just aren't sitting right right now that we need to um, extend something to. My, my wife was in the first service, and uh, she left. And we were talking about this, uh, people in our social circle, that things we need to invite into and things aren't right with. And she texts me right after church, and she's like, you know we have to have them over for dinner now, right? And I'm like, dang it. <laughs> you listen to our own message. Um, so we do. So who is it in your social world right now? Uh, there, who's the name there? Somebody at work for you, where you work, or maybe where you spend your time, maybe where you volunteer, or you spend your days. Is there somebody there that um, that's a name that just popped into the top of your head? Is there a neighbor? Going back to family, won't let that one alone. Is there somebody in your family that's a name? So that's the who is it? Who is it right now that God has put around you that is on your list that needs lavish and generous grace poured out on them? And then the how is it? So with that name, write the name, write a dash, and then how is it? How is it that we are going to pour out God's love on this person? How are we going to use what we have to do that? And I was thinking through some different things. Maybe we need to use a resource just as simple as gas. You know, Do we need to use our gas to drive over to their house and go uh, drop something off? Do we need to drive over to their house and say hi? Um, That's a resource we have as people um, to do that. Maybe we need to. go to the store and buy a little something. And just doesn't have to be a big thing, but just, hey, I was walking through and saw this bobblehead, thought of you, I don't know. You make up your own story and drop it off at their house to say that you were thinking of them. Um, They still, uh, it's a big announcement, they still sell stamps, if you haven't known that lately. They do, and you can go buy them and then you can put them on a card. And then, so maybe you need to go buy a card or, you know, and there's somebody that's been on your heart and a a note in the mail would kind of be unexpected and just say, hey, I love you. Um, that's a resource we have uh, in that. Another resource we have that we um, all pay for on a monthly basis is one of these things. And, you know, take, take our cell phones. They're great tools. Um, we talk about it all the time in our house. They are uh, wonderful tools and terrible weapons, right? That's what cell phones are. Um, but they're wonderful tools. They, they, they got videos now. You can send somebody a video. You can just say, Hey, I was thinking about you. Here's a little encouragement video. They have the audio thing. If you're not a video person, you can just hold down the little button and send them a message, you know, and say, Hey, good morning. Thinking about you. They're praying for you. Uh, you know, just wanted to send that out. Send them a text message. Do whatever you need to do. But there's a tool that we have, a resource to, to bring in God's kingdom. Um, you know, we have, again, those bigger assets. We have our homes, things like that, where we live. You know, does somebody need to come over for dinner? Do we need to spend time with them? Is it a cup of coffee? Is it dessert? Um, there's so many different things. And like I said, each of these is different for each one of us here. So, who is it? And how is it? And as we take communion, uh, I'd encourage you when we pause to either write it down or mentally write it down. And as we engage in this week and maybe leave here today, you know, just like the shrewd manager. But again, we're going to use our savviness for the kingdom and not for negative things. Just like the shrewd manager, line up these people in our lives one by one. And like the manager did, he extended great grace and love to those folks uh, in a certain way. But we're going to do the same. We're going to line up these people one by one in our life. And then we're going to give generously, because it's all God's. And we're just going to pour that generosity out on them to earn friends that have eternal reward. I think that's the word. So communion's been around. Take a minute. Let God speak to you. I think this is one of the biggest gifts we get as a church is to just have this time to be quiet in front of the Lord. So let him speak, and then we'll come back up and take communion together. I'll corporately here in a minute.